This happened to me over a decade ago. It's by far the most extreme and life-threatening situation that I've ever been in. The eyewitness account you're about to hear is 100% true, and it's mine. For some understanding, this happened in the United States. It was the summer of 2012. My longtime boyfriend and I had recently gotten married. Even though we were dirt-poor college students and lived in a dinky apartment, we were having a blast. That particular summer, we gathered with our friends at the local movie theater almost every weekend. There was one just down the street from our apartment that had really cheap movie tickets. A night out was under $10, and that was certainly within our budget. Anyway, one Thursday night, I received a call from this group of friends inviting us to watch the midnight premiere of the newest Batman movie. I had just finished working a 12-hour shift and was pretty tired. I almost refused the invitation and thought of crashing in my apartment instead. However, I didn't want to miss out on the fun, and it was a movie I'd wanted to see for a while anyway. Certainly it wouldn't do any harm to stay up later than usual and miss a few hours of sleep, right? At 10.30pm, we met at the theater. We passed large cardboard cutouts of Catwoman and Batman as we walked inside, greeted by the smell of buttery popcorn and the chatter of excited moviegoers. The ticket booth was to the right of the entrance, and just above that was an electronic list of movies being played. The midnight showing of The Dark Knight Rises was displayed up there in bright red letters. Being paranoid that the tickets would sell out quickly, one of my friends swung by earlier that day and purchased tickets for all of us. We bypassed the ticket line and went straight to the ticket taker. She smiled at us and kindly directed us to Theater 9, which was on the right side of the lobby. If only I had known what I do now, that among the crowd, a killer was lurking. That as I walked across the tacky red and purple carpet towards Theater 9, I could have been walking to my own death. I think about it often now. What I would have done, had I known. Pulled the fire alarm, called the police, screamed for people to run away. But, of course, I had no way of knowing what was about to happen. Oblivious to the peril I was putting myself in, I pushed open the doors for Theater 9 without giving it a second thought. The hallway in this theater was shaped like a U, and you could go either right or left. Theater 9 was the largest screening room in the building, perfect for accommodating the crowds that midnight premieres brought in. The screen was motionless and gray. Not even the previews had started yet, because there was still a good hour and a half to go until the movie started. We entered on the right side, so all of the seats were to our left. I remember being surprised at just how packed the theater already was. Just about every seat was filled, much to our dismay. At first, it seemed like we wouldn't find a spot to sit together. Now, the way this theater was set up, there was a section of seats right in front of the screen. This area was flat, and there were about five rows of seating in this section. A lot of the seats in that section were empty but sitting right in front of the movie screen sucks, and none of us really wanted to sit there. One of my friends then spotted a row with five empty seats, all next to each other, perfect for the amount of people we had. These seats were about three to four rows up from where the seating rows start to elevate. We ran up the stairs before someone could take the seats and filed in. My husband, Brock, sat in the fifth seat. I sat next to him. My friend Samantha sat next to me on my right side. Her boyfriend Tommy sat next to her. 
and another friend named Leo sat in the aisle seat. We spent the next several minutes casually chatting, joking around, and just laughing. After a while, my three friends went to the lobby to buy drinks and that damned addicting movie theater popcorn. While they were gone, Brock and I passed the time by people watching. The theater was bright since the lights weren't dimmed yet, and I could see everyone clearly. There were a lot of people dressed in Batman t-shirts and hoodies. One person even had a mask and one of those shirts with an attached cape. There were a lot of kids in attendance as well, which wasn't surprising because even though it was a Thursday night, it was summer vacation, so that meant no school the next day. Of all the people I saw, the person I'll never forget was a little girl sitting in our same row a few chairs away. She was super cute, blonde with blue eyes, and passed us several times on our way to the lobby, each time coming back with various snacks and popcorn. Overall, people seemed excited. They were ready to see the movie, and the room was filled with energy and laughter. After what seemed like an eternity of waiting, the light started to dim and the previews began. Just like every movie I've ever seen, a quick animation flashed across the screen reminding us to go get refreshments from the lobby, to silence our cell phones, and to know where the nearest emergency exits were. The animation had this ugly CGI cat in a tuxedo that was sitting in a movie theater. I casually glanced at the bright green emergency exit signs that were on the left and right sides of the movie screen. I didn't think much of the reminder, like usual. After that, I only remember one preview for The Man of Steel. The others? I'm not sure what they were about. When the movie started, the theater erupted into cheers. The title of the movie, The Dark Knight Rises, exploded onto the screen. This was followed by the scene where Bane is hijacking a plane. I thought this scene was pretty cool and it caught my interest immediately. Only when the movie started to get a little less interesting did I remember just how tired I was. I decided I would close my eyes at the most boring parts to get a little bit of rest. I had been awake for 20 hours at that point, so I was rightfully sleepy. My eyes were closed for most of the duration of Batman and Catwoman's encounter. I don't really remember what was going on in that part of the movie. Perhaps some of you have seen it and you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, when I opened my eyes again, Bruce Wayne was on his computer digging up information on Catwoman. This is the last scene that I saw. I never got to watch the rest of the movie. All of a sudden, a loud bang erupted from the left side of the theater. I sort of screamed a little because it startled me. A strange smell started to fill the auditorium. It was like the smell of a firework, so I thought it was a cherry bomb or something like that. Had someone thrown fireworks into the crowd as a prank? But then, down near the right side of the movie screen, the dark silhouette of a person caught my attention. They were just a black frame against the bright movie screen. A series of flashing lights was coming from this person. It was a weird moment where time literally slowed down and everything went strangely quiet. I was completely frozen, unable to move and really unable to think at all. It was like my brain had stopped working entirely. Brock caught on immediately to what was happening, and he grabbed me. He pulled me to the ground and lay on top of me, shielding me with his own body. At this point, time and sound returned to me. I could hear the gunshots ringing out across the theater, people screaming, 
the movie was still playing on top of it all, creating a chaotic explosion of sound. I realized the flashing lights I had seen were bullets flying out of a gun barrel. An instant sensation of adrenaline flooded my body. But there was absolutely nothing I could do except lay there and pray to God that the bullets I heard ripping through seats and walls didn't rip through me too. At one point, shrapnel hit my head, cutting off a good chunk of my hair, and as I reached for the spot to make sure it wasn't bleeding, hot pieces of metal fell into my hand. I was laying face up so I could see everything that was happening. The lights from a still-playing movie danced across the ceiling and walls. My friends were on the floor with me. Our unfinished bucket of popcorn was spilled across the floor. Leo had his legs sticking out into the aisle because there wasn't enough room for him to hide completely behind the seats. At some point, Samantha's water bottle, which had been in the cup holder between our seats, exploded. Water splashed all over my face. The smell of gun smoke was overwhelming. Riot grade tear gas made me cry and caused me to cough uncontrollably. There was another smell too. The horrible metallic smell of blood that I'll never forget. I remember my lower body feeling wet all of a sudden. For some reason, I thought this came from the leaking water bottle, but I soon realized this wasn't the case at all. Things went strangely quiet all of a sudden. The bullets had stopped for some reason. Tommy shouted, let's get out of here. We took advantage of the opportunity and made a run for it. We ran down the stairs across the front of the screen towards the bright green exit sign. We crammed in a small, closet-like space where the door was. It was so dark we had a hard time finding it. We were screaming and slamming on the walls to find the door, blinded by the tear gas and dumbfounded by shock. Then finally, my hands felt the metal door handle and I pushed against it with all of my strength. The door flew open and the light of a nearby streetlight flooded our eyes. We pushed against the door so hard that we all fell over onto the concrete. As I scrambled back to my feet and ran for my life, I realized my legs were red and absolutely soaked with blood. It was like I dipped my legs into a bathtub full of it. I checked my body all over and realized I wasn't injured at all. Where had this blood come from? I looked behind me and realized that the blood was my husband's. He had been shot in the leg. A massive, gaping hole had been torn through the lower half of Brock's right leg. His foot was barely hanging on and it dangled lifelessly. Leo and a young man I didn't recognize were carrying Brock because, after falling outside the door, he had lost all his strength and could no longer walk. I was completely shocked. I had no idea he had been injured, especially since he was right behind me the whole time and managed to escape the theater all by himself. How did he do it on one foot? I'll never know. At this point, I just screamed. My scream was so loud that it alerted nearby construction workers. At the back of the theater, there was a narrow parking lot, followed by a grassy lawn and then the street beyond that. The construction workers were doing road repair on the street, but as soon as they heard my scream and saw us running, they stopped working and watched what was going on. I'm not sure why this is such a vivid part of my memory. Anyway, they carried Brock along the back sidewalk, all the way to the end, where the corner of the building was. This was quite a distance, several dozen feet. My husband then collapsed from exhaustion 
and pain, saying he couldn't move anymore. Where he collapsed, a puddle of his blood started to form beneath him. I looked back and realized we had left a trail of blood leading from the door all the way to our current position. I was shaking, trembling. I knelt beside Brock and glanced around to see who else was injured. Tommy had been shot in the knee and hip and was further away in the parking lot. The teenager who helped my husband was also injured. His dad and mom were with him. His mom was sitting against the wall and looked like she was going to pass out. She was bleeding from several places as well. That family escaped at the same time we did. I guess they heard the bullet stop and decided to make a run for it too. We were all lucky because the shooting was still going on inside. I had to take off my shirt and use it to stop the bleeding. I'll never forget how lifeless and limp Brock's leg felt, and I imagine that's what a dead body must feel like. I got blood all over my hands and arms. The police showed up really fast. I'd say we were only outside for a minute or two before the red and blue sirens filled the night and rushed to our location. A female officer stood by us the whole time until paramedics arrived, which in comparison took a very long time. Brock was one of the last to be taken to a hospital. He was bleeding out for almost 20 minutes before an ambulance pulled up on the same street with the road work. At this point, he had become almost unresponsive and was on the verge of unconsciousness. Several massive guys rushed across the grass with a stretcher, loaded him onto it, and then ran with him back to the waiting ambulance. I wasn't able to go with him because there was another injured person in the ambulance, and it was just too crowded. I wandered around to the front of the theater alone, unsure of where my friends had gone. My blood-stained shirt and a pool of blood were left behind on the corner of that sidewalk. I still remember it. Walking through the crowds felt like a dream. I couldn't believe what had just happened. People were in hysterics and crying. A lot of people such as me were covered in blood, and like me, I'm pretty sure the blood staining their skin and clothes wasn't their own. A lot of people seemed to notice how lonely and dazed I looked, so they kept me company and even offered me a ride to different hospitals to find Brock, because I hadn't been told what hospital he was being taken to. I hung around these people for a while as police swarmed the area and asked what we saw inside the theater. The whole parking lot was on lockdown, and we weren't going to be allowed to leave anytime soon. It was around 2am, so it was very dark outside still, and I was freezing cold wearing only an undershirt and shorts. The flashing red and blue lights of what seemed like a hundred police cars were blinding. I remember seeing a big police vehicle pull up that said something like crime scene investigation on it. I think that's when it really sank in and hit me. I started to get sick to my stomach and wanted to vomit, but somehow I was able to hold it back. Eventually, police started letting people leave. I jumped into my truck and booked it out of there. I was in such a panic that I didn't even think to go back to my apartment, grab my cell phone, which I had forgotten, and call my parents or someone else to help me. I was angry, upset, scared, and most of all, shocked. Was I really going to lose Brock only a month shy of our first wedding anniversary because some psychopath with a gun? Thankfully, by the time Don rolled around, I found the hospital he was in. This was in the next city over maybe 45 minutes from the theater if you're going the speed limit. I was so happy to be there, and the hospital staff were all so welcoming and understanding. 
after making sure I wasn't injured as well. They let me wait in the ICU room that Brock would be placed in when he was done recovering from surgery. I was so glad that he was alive. Brock and Tommy both had survived, though many others weren't so lucky. I found out the following day, after some much-needed sleep on a hospital couch, that 12 people were killed in the shooting, and over 70 were injured. The little blonde girl sitting in my row didn't survive. She died in the theater no more than a few feet from us. She had been shot multiple times. A heartbroken police officer who cried during his court testimony tried unsuccessfully to save her by carrying her out of the theater and having her sent to a hospital. Tommy was rushed to a different hospital in the back of a police car. He underwent surgery and made a full recovery. The bullet missed his hip bone and narrowly missed his urinary tract and bladder. According to his surgeons, my husband lost almost half of his blood. Brock made it to the hospital just in time. Any later, and he wasn't going to make it. Brock underwent several blood transfusions and was in the hospital for 21 days. The wound to his leg was severe enough that they had to amputate it after unsuccessfully trying to save it. It's been so long since the shooting happened that my husband, friends, and I have been able to recover from it somewhat. The event was pretty horrifying and has left us scarred for sure. I wouldn't consider that part of the story to be creepy though. No, the creepy part is the shooter himself. I later learned much about him from the murder trial that would follow in the coming years. Though my encounter with this man was very brief, he's affected my life greatly. Just to know that people like this exist is disturbing. He's certainly one twisted individual that I never want to see again. I learned everything from watching the televised trial that took place in early 2015. This guy was going to school for neuroscience or something in California. I guess he was a pretty smart guy. But for some reason, he had an obsession with killing people and had a stalker's mentality. After dropping out of his university, he moved to my state and chose my local theater to commit a mass shooting. Before that, he was planning on hiding along remote hiking trails up in the mountains, jumping people, pulling them into the woods, and killing them there, though he never went through with that idea. He stalked the theater for months and had this shooting all planned out for the night of July 20th. Though I never saw him before this, it's unnerving to think that this guy could have been watching us every time we went to the movie theater, and we would have never known it. We were completely unaware of what he had planned against us. This completely ruined my sense of security because who knows what the stranger next to you is planning on doing. I came very close to the shooter, but I never actually saw his face in person, until I was forced to testify in court. Of course I saw his mugshots on TV, but while in the theater... I only saw him as a dark silhouette in the shadows, like a demonic figure rendered from the darkest and most sinister nightmare. He was even in the hallway that we passed upon running for the emergency exit. The only thing stopping him from killing us then was his jammed assault rifle. To commit this crime, he ordered a few thousand rounds of ammunition, riot gear and armor, tear gas, an assault rifle, and a shotgun. He took pictures of himself which were shown in court, wearing all of this gear like some sick trophy and holding up these weapons with a menacing smile. He dyed his hair orange and put in these creepy black contacts while making devilish faces into the camera, something that made me sick just looking at. Before driving to the theater, 
with all of his gear in his car. He booby-trapped his entire apartment and set it to explode if anyone opened the door. Then, once at the theater, he posed as a moviegoer and even bought a ticket for the show. I think his ticket had Theater 8 on it, which was next door, but Theater 9 had more people in it, so he went into number 9 instead. He was one of the people in the first few rows. I must have passed him several times in the lobby while he was there. Maybe he had seen me too. At some point during the movie, he got up and went through the side exit, which didn't have an alarm for some reason, kept it propped open with something, then went to his car to put on all his armor and grabbed his weapons. Then he came back inside and started shooting. When we escaped the theater, we ran past his white car, which was parked right at the exit. We didn't even notice it. At some point, he came outside and he would have seen us out there on the concrete. I don't know what stopped him from shooting people that were outside too, but he could have easily ended us right then and there if he had wanted to. I think the hardest part for me was facing this twisted individual in court. I'll never forget rising as they called my name, walking down the center row past my family, other survivors, and crowds of news-hungry media personnel. I sat right across from him, maybe only ten feet away. While his orange hair was gone and he wasn't wearing black contacts, being so close to him was as creepy of an experience as I've ever had. My encounters with this man are certainly ones I'll never forget. I can now say that I've come face to face with a true, deranged psychopath. He just had this blank stare in his eyes the whole time. If eyes truly are the windows to the soul, then his soul was filled with nothing but cold indifference for those that he had murdered and harmed. He wouldn't even look at me. Sitting across from him in court was only the second time I had ever been in the same room as this man, one time knowingly, the other unknowingly. A man who had tried to take my life but thankfully had failed. A man who would end up spending forever behind bars when, at the end of it all, he was sentenced to 3,318 years in prison for his crimes. This is to the man who tried to kill me, the man who caused countless nightmares and fueled the fires of my paranoia, the man who hurt my friends and family, causing years of untold grief for my husband because he'll never walk the same again, the man who stole the innocence and joy from a six-year-old child who went into that theater alive and came out dead, to the man who carried out the worst mass shooting in Colorado history. Let's not meet again. Ever. I hope you rot in prison. <laughs>